Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. Here we go again, Dr. Bill Kanaski. This is brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Uh, I'm jumping right, I got a great guest today, but before that, I'm going to jump right into my rant, and then I'm going to drag her into the, the rant. So I was reading today, and there's always an article about this floating around, and uh, it's just out of control. And I'm reading an article, uh, somebody got on social media, either on Twitter or TikTok, and was complaining that they were on an airplane, and somebody asked them to switch seats. So they could sit with their sit with their family. And the girl refused and said, no, you know, I, I paid for this seat. I want this seat. And I I'm not I'm not switching seats. And there's this big up uproar. OK, now I I've, I travel most weeks of the year and I can tell you this. If you ask me to change my seat, you're going to get a big, tall glass of go blank yourself because no. No, 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 no. You listen, if you want to sit with your family or your friends, that's why you book your flight early. Okay. You see the, the seating chart. You can pick your, okay. You don't pick three seats. Okay. A mile away from each other and then have a plan. Think about this. You're going to have a plan. Yeah. Once we get on, oh, people will gladly get up and move there. No, no. And why would you don't need to sit I mean, now if you have small kids involved, that, okay, if you have small kids involved, that's definitely your fault for screwing that up, right? How do you not book those seats together? But yeah, I would disagree on that. I mean, because the, the airport, the airline has messed up our seats before when we paid for three seats together and then they switched them on us. And okay, ladies and gentlemen, now, we, now, we, have, now we have an out of control guest who has jumped into the <laughs> rant before her introduction. Let me introduce you, Holly Howenitz from Wicker Smith. Holly, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm outstanding. Well, I'm a little aggravated from this rant I got. Now, by the way, Holly was one of our first guests on the podcast several you know, years ago. Um, and now we've uh, over 150 episodes. So we're, we're happy to have her back. Holly, if you can't sit on a two and a half hour flight and read a book or listen or listen to this podcast and not be next to your family or your friends, something's wrong. Something's wrong with you. Would you give up your seat? I'm not giving up my seat. So I'm happy to sit alone. I just think it would be irresponsible parenting to not sit with my 10 year old. Okay, fine. <laughs> But it'd be irresponsible parenting to not book the ticket appropriately to sit next to your 10-year-old. So this never happens. No, right? I would agree you should book the ticket appropriately. On the, on the off case that you didn't, perhaps someone should move. Um, but if it's a know. couple, you know, I have my husband sitting five rows back. Now, what I have done, what I have done is they say, hey, my husband's sitting five rows back. He's in an aisle seat. You're in an aisle seat. Do you mind? I'm like, Okay, because I'm, you know, I'm six foot tall. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll gladly switch we see you guys. Sit. But I'm not switching from an exit row aisle to a to a to a middle seat in the economy. Right. I would agree a hundred percent that it is unreasonable to ask someone to give Thank up you. their aisle seat for your middle seat. Thank you. And if you you know, when you book flights now, you know, you you see the 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 seating chart, all, all the boxes have prices on them. So you could be losing two hundred bucks by switching seats. It's just it just gets annoying as just people that ask to do so to people do, do not do that that's very very bad and that is that's my rant today holly thank you so much for coming back on the show love uh repeat uh guests and you and i have been talking back channel about uh one of your cases 
But then you brought up something really important because, um, you know, trials, I'm getting calls on trials constantly now, and we're really in the full swing of it. A lot of attorneys going back to trial and um, even everybody's admittedly said, you know, Hey, you know, you don't, you don't use it. You'll lose it. Um, you know, you get rusty. Right. And so, you know, one of the most important parts um, about preparing for trial is uh, opening statement construction and um, jurors, uh, as you know, uh, their attention span is not bad. It's atrocious. And how you put together an opening statement and to keep their attention and to not lose them, make sure they're not falling asleep uh, is really important. And we have, you know, we're in a society now that, you know, these these things right here, these 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 cell phones and everybody's addicted to them. And then when you're on your app, whether it be, you know, whatever, you know, TikTok, Instagram, whatever it is, Facebook, I mean, you have this ability to sweep up or across to you, you, like you don't like the stimulus you're looking at it's too boring and you boom next thing boom next thing boom next thing well in the courtroom uh the jurors don't have the ability to just sweep <laughs> to the to the next defense attorney right uh they're kind of stuck with you so tell me about kind of your philosophy uh when preparing an opening statement and what the things that you're trying to do and what's going through your head because you want to maintain, you want to attract, you get their attention early, but then you want to keep it throughout your presentation. So what I do is I kind of like to come out, I guess, come out swinging for lack yes. of a better term. Yes. I, I see you know, even, I had a trial a couple of weeks ago and the plaintiff's attorney did the whole, you know, thank you for your time. This is the, the civil justice system is great. <laughs> and this is you doing your civic duty, blah, blah, blah. Bad. And so within that first, you know, minute of introduction, I think he already lost their attention. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I obviously every trial has to have a theme and that has to come out pretty quickly in your opening statement. So I think you need to do something to get their attention in like the first 15 to 30 seconds, um, which is about the length of the most successful, you know, TikTok videos and Instagram reels are about 30 seconds long. So really, you need to come out the gate and have your theme in mind. So you don't just say, you know, my name is, you know, this is my client. You You say, you know. Mm -hmm. This is a case about a minor accident that didn't cause any permanent damage. The evidence is going to show you that. I'm going to go through it with you now. You know, so that way it's kind of like you've given them your roadmap and yeah. they're like, oh, that's what I'm going to listen to. Yeah, I think a lot of those, um, gonna, again, I published a paper on this um, a while ago. Um, I, I think a lot of the, the small talk, the little things can be done uh, in jury selection as far as introducing yourself, thanking them you know, all of, all of that. Now I have a, I have a confession here. This, this is, this is a huge confession. Um, I am very anti-social media. I don't really consider LinkedIn social media. It's, it's different. It's work. So it's, it's, it's kind of in a class of its own, but like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I, I, I don't have any of that stuff. Right. Um, so my son who's 14, He's very active uh, in basketball and he's big, he's, he's kind of big into nutrition and fitness, which I think is fantastic. And so he starts sending me TikTok videos from like, you know, fitness experts or nutrition experts. And I start, cause he's like, Hey, can you watch this and let me know if you agree with it? Cause I have, I have a pretty strong background in that. And I start watching these videos. Holly, I am 100% every, I am addicted to TikTok. <laughs> I, I love it. Oh my God. I, I wake up in the morning. First thing I do, boom, TikTok. 
I love it. And I got all my fitness stuff. Then I, whatever the algorithm at, they got me figured out. I got my history stuff that comes in, then my nutrition stuff. And then I am just, I'm out of my mind with this stuff. I love it. But the key to those videos is grabbing their attention. You know, you grab someone's attention uh, early because I will even admit, you know, I get three, four, five seconds. You know, you, you, uh, you, 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 I mean, you, you go to the next one. Talk to me a little bit about, and I know maybe every course is different, every uh, judge is different. What's your philosophy? Uh, so back to opening statement, um, your ability to use uh, a, a visual stimulus or maybe even multiple um, uh, during your opening and what you're trying to uh, accomplish with that. I just posted on LinkedIn this earlier this week. I said people, because of things like TikTok, you know, people see stories. They don't hear stories anymore. Um, what, what is your philosophy, uh, on that and the types of things that you're, you're trying to do from a, a visual, a visual stimuli standpoint? So with opening statement, I usually do kind of like a slide deck and, um, I, I will kind of go all the way up to the line of what would be considered argument with visuals. Uh, some things I strategically want to save for closing, yeah. but as far as like, let's say it's a case with a bunch of medical records, then obviously I'm going to pick the key records that are going to be shown to them, you know, multiple times during the case and go through those in opening. Um, I usually don't go through the records in chronological order because then, you know, I think you lose their attention. But if I, you know, I kind of get the theme out there, then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to show you some records. Um, if there's photographs, I put those up right away. So yeah, they, I think people remember very little of what they just hear. Yeah. Um, you know, like the days of trying a case on a notepad are kind of gone and <laughs> you don't, you don't just get your legal pad out there and get up there and do a monologue. Um, but you, uh, so, you know, I want to go ahead and preview what I think is going to be the key evidence and show it to them. Um, Cause they're taking notes too, like in, at least in Duval County and most of the, the counties in Florida, they let them take notes. So that gives them something to kind of take down as well. Yeah. Now, uh, can I say do is a do? Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Crazy, crazy, uh, a football game. Uh, that was the, one of the most insane sporting events I have, uh, I have been to. We'll talk, we'll talk more about that later. Talk about, yeah, th there's an example of where an opening did not work out well. Yeah. The first <laughs> quarter is not the warm up. Somebody needs to tell them yeah. that. That's yeah, the game. four interceptions in the first half <laughs> is not. Yeah, so if you're giving your opening statement, you may not you may not want to throw four interceptions or fumble four times uh, in the first right. half of your opening, because <laughs> in the courtroom, I can assure you, uh, the second half comebacks um, are are a rarity. Now, um, now I'm sure yeah you have you have associates that work with you, and I'm sure that part of your job is is mentoring. Um, and training and you're talking to them, you know, about, you know, opening statements and things like that, what you're trying to accomplish. How does, how does the length of your opening statement vary depending on the, on, on, on the case you have? Because again, we're struggling with this. Okay. Jurors have shitty attention spans mm -hmm. and some cases are very straightforward. Some cases are more complicated. Some cases you have a co-defendant maybe that you're going to have to talk about how do you kind of adjust how long you're talking in your opening based on the case that you have? Well, sometimes the judge does that for you. Um, oh, and, yeah. You know, you get like an allotted amount of time. Um, I try to make the last opening I did was like half an hour. Um, and it, was, it was a case with some pretty big medical records. Uh, so 
you, you know, if you don't need it, it doesn't need to be in there. It, you really yeah. just kind of need to be giving them the highlight reel and, you know, piecing the story together where they're, they're already, I guess, developing a bias in my favor um, at the, by the end of opening, hopefully. Uh, but as far as the link, you know, I, I had one guy once do a two hour opening statement, the plaintiff's oh attorney, and it was awful. Um, yeah. And it was, it was hard for me to listen to it and pay attention. So I can't imagine <laughs> what the jurors were doing. Uh, so I would say, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the complexity of the case is generally a good length. Um, if it's a really easy case, you know, or really cut and dry, maybe even like 20 minutes. That I, I completely agree, because I think that that is I think that is your window um, for most cases. It's really hard. I always tell them 25 to 30 minutes is your sweet spot. Um, after that, it's really difficult for a jury to to pay attention particularly if they've just listened to plaintiff's opening, right? Right. Um, there's there's some cognitive fatigue there. Uh, there could be some bore, uh, uh, boredom there. Have you ever given an opening where, okay, back to our football, since I started talking about the Jaguars, where you've, you've had to call an audible in, in your, that's, so in other words, you've had to change the play at the line of scrimmage because of what the plaintiff did in their opening. And you said, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. And now you have to make a change like on the fly in your opening because of something you just saw that maybe they took a slant that you weren't ready for? Um, I haven't had it happen in a negative way, um, meaning, you know, like, oh, I didn't have that plan for my case, which I guess is lucky. But I've had yeah. a couple of times when they've given me a gift um, and said oh. something that, you know, it was it was I, I already sort of had a theme worked out, but they just yeah. like fell right into a, the hole of my theme. So I might oh, like yeah. rearrange what the first thing I say is based on that, um, just, just to kind of like throw a large punch, I guess. Yeah. Um, but as, so I do pay attention. Um, the last trial I had, I, I sort of did that with my closing because they they really gave me sort of a gift with the theme that they tried to work with in closing. So I worked theirs into it and then and then went right nice. back into mine. OK, last thing on the opening, then we're going to transition. What do you tell, because um, I think this is really important uh, because I find that clients, whether it be a, you know, whether it be a, a plaintiff or a defendant or a corporate rep or whatever, um, I find them to be very undisciplined at counsel's table. Um, and then if you're up giving an opening, you can't be babysitting your client, right? One of your partners or, or colleagues is doing that. What do you tell your, because I'm always telling these witnesses, I'm like, listen, you know, when the plaintiff's given the opening statement and they're calling you out and saying every bad thing about you, I go, you can't have smoke coming out of your ears. Your face can't turn red. You can't be grinding your teeth angry because the jury's going to be checking you out how you're reacting. Right. And then when your attorney's up there, you can't be like, you know, head, you know, you, you can't be doing that. You can't be like, yeah, go get them, Holly. You've got to be the same person, be professional. What's the talk that you have with your client? Like, okay, when I'm up here saying all these great things about you and your company, you need to reel it in and pay attention and not be doing anything crazy, right? I always tell them to pretend like they're in a fishbowl, um, that you're like the fish and the jury's looking at you. And, you know, it essentially anything you do, even though you're not, you know, actively doing anything in the case, they are going to make observations. So, you know, you don't want to look like you're not paying attention at all and, you know, sitting there reading a book while the plaintiff's counsel is giving an opening. Um, but you also yeah. don't want to look like you're emotionally reacting to either side of the case. Nice. Thank you. Sorry about my my live on air sign is flopping back here. It's because my cat 
my cat first. Okay, let me. Okay, rant number two. So my cat, and she loves me, right? And now, but now she's playing with my live on air sign. And if you're watching, you'll be able to see this. If you're listening, you won't be able to see it. She she puked. So we changed cat food. She puked all over my podcast studio. Oh, no. There's just like paper towels everywhere. I haven't been able to clean it up because when I see puke, I start to puke. So this is a very bad. So I have to make somebody else clean this up. Uh, my wife or my kids. But uh, yeah, so this is a very uh, difficult work environment I have today. Uh, I apologize for that. Uh, let's transition. Um, I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. <laughs> be, be careful with your answer. Um, but it's okay. So it's the start of the year. And I made a joke uh, at the end of the year, right at the beginning of the year, because, you know, in college sports, um, this transfer, everybody knows the transfer portal is right. And it's, it's making everybody crazy. And then everybody's going nuts. And you see this player, you know, leave, say the Florida Gators, and now they're going to go play for somebody else. And you're like, Oh no, I can't. And it's, it's like, that's the thing now. And so many players do it. And it aggravates a lot of the alumni that have been donating money and they love their teams and, you know, people leave. Um, and I made a joke on LinkedIn because I saw, I, I saw a lot of attorneys leaving at the end of the year, first of the year, right? And I said, wow, you know, the transfer portal for, for uh, law firms is actually a red hot on fire now. Uh, and that continues into February here as I watch LinkedIn and people changing around. Um, so a colleague leaves. Um, usually uh, that is not taken uh, very well <laughs> internally in any job usually, right? Um, um, how do you, how, how, how do you personally deal with that when you have a colleague, maybe you worked with for a while, someone that you and your firm has invested a lot of time in, maybe a lot of money in a lot of trust and they pick up and want to leave and go to a competitive law firm or something like that. I know this happens all the time, but boy, um, I've talked to many attorneys, um, off air, obviously that have been very, very upset when they're, when they're, when their colleagues do this, um, how, how how do you cope with that? How how do you get through that as a turn as a, a a firm internally? How do you not hold grudges because it's going to happen? To I mean, it's going to happen, right? How how do you deal with this? Yeah, I have to say I've I've grown a lot in this area because I used to take it very personally, yeah. like if an associate left me. Um, yeah. But I've I've kind of gotten to to the point where you you know you can't react emotionally to what people have to do for themselves professionally and especially if it's somebody that you've built a friendship with um you know yeah. you want you kind of want to keep the friendship even if they're not still working with you so mm -hmm. I guess you know it it, it is kind of like the transfer portal everybody everybody has to make the decision that's best for you know them at the time um hopefully Hopefully they won't regret it. Um, you know, I've had people leave and come back before. <laughs> so wow. that's uh, interesting. But uh, you know, I, I think that my advice would be just try to not react emotionally to professional decisions. Yeah, it's um it's not easy and it happens. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. Uh, but I think the key is, you know, you gotta it's gonna hurt for a while. Um but you got to move on and you got to grow and you got to, you got to, you got to build the team that you, that you have. Yeah. And, and there's a limited amount of attorneys that can actually do trial work out there. So I've, I've had them, you know, take in-house jobs or yeah. take more like corporate type jobs. Yep. 
And a, a lot of times when I look at it, I think that was probably the right decision because it, yeah, every time I do a trial, I'll, I'm kind of like, now, why did I choose to do this? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you just brought, okay. So you just brought up something that's not on my outline. Um, and this is one of the dirty little secrets. I bring this up during many of my speeches. Um, I think that this is a fact that I'm about to bring up. No one's going to like it, but Hey, you brought it up. So it's your fault. My fault. Um, the, okay. Well, I'm going to say it right now. There are not a lot of defense attorneys that can try a case. They're not. <laughs> there is a minority percentage of attorneys that can actually do this. And so the difference between a litigator and a trial attorney, there are only so many true trial attorneys out there. I, that's a fact. And again, no one's posting about this, but it's it's. It, it's it's a, it's a fact. Um, how how does Wicker Smith like like so? What do you guys do internally? Like, hey, you know, we have really good attorneys, right? Every you want your the best attorneys, but trial attorneys are different, right? They're different than litigators. What types of things do you do as far as again mentoring, training, whatever it takes to get your younger people up to that next level? Because being able to try a case and, and doing that well is not easy. Uh, that's not something that just comes overnight. Uh, and, 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 and how, how does you, how do you and your firm, uh, um, um, uh, deal with, with, with that issue as far as the growth of your younger people and getting more trial attorneys to be talented? Uh, well, I'm going to say something controversial right off the bat. It there has to go. be partnership with the clients. So, um, you know, a lot of times we'll have clients that are like, well, you're going to do that, right? You're going to do that deposition. You're going to go to that mediation. Yep. So we, <laughs> part of it is like, you know, negotiating with the clients to yep. let the younger attorneys actually get the experience. Um, Big problem. And second, with, with my team, I try to spend some time giving them kind of like individual feedback. Um, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll like watch them do a mediation opening statement or I'll give them kind of like one, you know, minor witness at trial just to kind of see how they do. Um, yeah. So it's kind of letting them dip their toe in the water. And then you're right. Some of them, you kind of have to just make the conclusion that they're going to be great at writing motions for summary judgment. Yeah. But, you know, maybe maybe they're, I'm not going to let them give the opening statement <laughs> at trial because um, we obviously want to win. So, it, you know, yeah. it, some sometimes it's, you know, it's some skills are teachable and some really aren't. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with this, these facts that we're bringing out. Um, I mean, not everybody that works at a litigation law firm is going to be a true trial chair one trial attorney. It's just not it. You need second chairs. You need other people to do other things and, and being able to utilize those people and their skill set. I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that's actually, I think that's actually um, great. But the <laughs> the complaint that you just brought up, I've heard over and over and over again is, you know, I'm, I've heard partners at law firms saying, I'm trying to get my folks involved and my clients won't, they won't let me, they want me to do everything. And I have the same problem. It's like a cause mm -hmm. like, well, I need you to train this witness or I need you to pick this jury. And I'm like, I, I'm booked for the next three months. I, you're going to have to trust my colleagues. Right. And so it is a trust factor. Um, I get that, but I think clients would be better off, you know, talking to their outside counsel talk and, and having a plan together for the long term to say, Hey, um, this is what, we, you know, this is what we need uh, from you. We need some understanding. We need the, the growth of our people because we want to be defending you for years to come. And 
you know, I mean, if Holly or Bill gets hit by a bus tomorrow, now right. what are you going to do, right? Um, uh, let's not go get hit hit by by any by any buses. Um, how do Holly? How do you handle? That's a good segue too. Um, how do you handle disagreements with clients? And here's a specific example. Client says, "Eh, this is a bullshit case. This case is nothing." But you, Holly, are going, eh, this actually could be something. And you don't see the liability or the damages the same way as your client. How, how do you handle those discussions? Because I see a lot of that, too, where a client's saying, oh, come on, Holly, toughen up. Th this case is not so bad. What? Come on, come on, come on. And you're being like, well, no, I've seen this before. I see some red flags here. H how do you handle those discussions with clients? Because I think those are really important. I think a lot of nuclear verdicts happen for this reason, is that somebody's off on their assessment of this case, and there's really not cohesion on how people see it. Right. And a lot of defense attorneys um, and even plaintiff's attorneys, once their client gets like an expectation, because, um, you know, my husband's a plaintiff's attorney. So I've got I've got a very fair and balanced household. Oh, oh I my. Hear, I hear it all. Oh, um, my. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the comments I have, the questions and comments I have, well, you're coming back on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, sometimes we've actually done like shows together. It's pretty funny. So <laughs> does he, does he reptile you during dinner? Uh, no, no, but we do have a lot of evidence-based arguments regarding household chores, um, and who did what and what, you know, at, at what time, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but going back to the question as All to right, the, sorry. you know, the client, um, I, I tend to have like a very clinical discussion with them. You know, I'll, I'll say these are the red flags that I see. And then sometimes I'll try to show them old jury verdicts or, you know, I, I collect transcripts from all kinds of cases and I'll, I'll, you know, be able to tell them, well, in this case, you know, this verdict happened and it had the exact same set of facts. So why would, why is this one not dangerous when the other one had a $16 million verdict, um, you know, two months ago. So I think it's important to, stay on top of what the verdicts have been and what and understand the facts in those cases. And that way, rather than just telling them your opinion, you're actually coming at them with some facts. And you and I will be doing a focus group coming up here soon. And that's right. that's even even better way to say, hey, you know, clients show up, let's put on this case. Let's run everything by a mock jury and see see what they say. And and you you always learn something uh, um, from those, usually something you never anticipated. Right. Well, the jurors focus on things that it's it's yeah. kind of scary. I mean, even to the yeah. point where like I'll I'll have to lay out my outfits like for the whole week of trial and and you know try to think if that's gonna you know is this jacket going to offend somebody? <laughs> or <something like> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so it's amazing what they focus on. So it is good to get that data and and use that to talk to the clients. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, last area. Um, so I've, okay, of, of all the people I've seen on LinkedIn for as long as I've, I, I've been on, um, I have, I have seen you in exercise clothes more than any other person ever, ever, ever. I could rattle off your exercise wardrobe at this point. Um, and you're very, very active. Uh, I am very activist too. I would argue we're, we're probably the, the most fit people on, on LinkedIn. I, we could take that challenge, maybe, maybe have a, uh, you know, battle of the network stars or something like that. Um, how, how do you use, um, because this is, this is, we both have stressful jobs. How do you use, um, exercise uh, and fitness to, um, to, to, to stay in shape, both 
you know, physically, mentally, and how do you work? Because a lot of the attorneys I work with uh, when I'm on the road and traveling, a lot of them tell me, you know, they want to exercise more. They want to be more healthy, but God, this job and all the, like, how do you fit it in? What, what do you do? What's your strategy towards that? Because I find it to be very important. I'd be lost without it. And I know you're very active and, but you have a very busy job too. How do you, how do you, how do you make it happen? So I actually think being active helps me to be better at my job and to you know, not have as much fatigue from the job. Um, even I've noticed like I had an out of town trial in Gainesville last year and the associate that was helping me, was just, you know, kind of wrecked at the end of the case and I felt fine. Um, so I, I just am pretty regimented with my schedule. So during a trial week, I wake up at five and I, I either like run on the treadmill or do the spin bike, um, you know, kind of alternating. And I just make sure that I've made time for that. Um, and, you know, it really doesn't take a ton of time to exercise. I mean, you can you can run like a lot of miles in less than an hour and you've had a pretty good workout. So it's really just a matter of budgeting the time and then, you know, understanding that if you are in good shape, you're probably going to feel better and your job's going to yeah. be less stressful because you're you feel better. I have found that um, now I, I, I don't run because I have no ligaments in one of my ankles and a bum knee. And if if I ran like you, I would, I would be in a, uh, I'd be in the ICU. Uh, so, so no running for me, but I'm very active, uh, uh, in the gym. Uh, I lift heavy things until it hurts. And then I rest for a couple minutes and I do it again. I find that, um, my creative thinking, my ability to think about things, think of whether it be an opening statement or voir dire questions as I'm working out, right. When I'm not in front of this laptop. I'm not on the phone. Um, I, I find that it's a really good time to think, you know, creatively and to, to come up with, you know, strategic ideas or, or even things like, you know, with business development or, or something interesting. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about, um, you know, on, on, on the podcast, I think it's, I think it's also a good time um, to, to, to have a good mental, uh, you know, impact on you and to be, to be, to be thinking about things, but have you been like on that run and, and be like, you know, you're in mile three and you're like, holy shit, I just thought of something brilliant. I have to write this. Down. Like, can you run back and write it down? <laughs> I don't run back and write it down, but I have thought of stuff like during, yeah. you know, during exercise. It's like, oh, you know, because that like it's funny. The last trial I had, like it was like I was I, I knew like what the theme was and I, I was yeah. using like a classic literature reference, but I just like couldn't come up with it. Um, and I was actually, well, my husband helped, so I have to credit him, but it's one of those, I'm like, you know, it's, it's this quote, do you remember who did it? And he knew it. Um, but so sometimes we we're having like conversations in addition to my brain working while we're running, but definitely, I think there's actually some science to it. You know, you're the neuroscientist, isn't it? Like the blood flow to the brain and, and that makes our brain healthier and, and, you know, prevents decline and all that stuff. That's, 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 that's the, that's the hypothesis on that. It's a, I had to do a different podcast on that. Yeah. The, uh, the blood for your, to your brain is pretty constant regardless of what you're doing. However, it is showing that long-term, you know, in the long-term people that exercise, there's, there is an association with less cognitive decline and things like Alzheimer's and stuff like that. So very protective, but uh, yeah, I do I do find it helpful. So what I do, so when I'm in a gym, I do have my phone, but I'm on TikTok. What I do is I open up my notes app 
in between sets, I'll think of something and I'll type it down on my notes app and I could take it back to the office, you know, when I'm done, if I think, of, hey, this is a really good Vordeer question, right? Boom, 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 boom. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're running, like a 5K, that's probably not, you know, not going to happen. But, but I have to end with this. So, so I wanted to, I made this commitment and because uh, I do have some injuries and I said, I really want to build, you know, I want to build you know, my legs, but I, I can't run. I can't do things like deep squats, like a big bodybuilder. So like that. So I got into, I looked it up, Bulgarian split squats. Have you done Bulgarian split squats? So I actually tried them when you emailed me about it last week. <laughs> oh, how did, how did that work? I'm dying to hear this. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I did not find them difficult. That's probably an oh, unpopular stop. thing to say. Stop. Um, but you know, I, I like I run ah. and I do Pilates. I didn't think they were that hard, but oh. <laughs> now okay, now you're just destroying me on my own podcast. Okay, number one, they're entirely they're very, very difficult. Uh number two, the amount of soreness and pain. Oh my gosh. But I've been doing it for several months now. So now I can do them. Uh, and again, I had some pre-existing injuries, so I had to be really careful. But any of our listeners, if you want to get your lower body in shape and you can't and you just do them with body weight. You don't need to be using any weight. That can come later. But man, body weight, Bulgarian split squats. Wow. Highly effective. I love them. Well, um, thank you for making fun of me. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but hey, listen, Holly, thank you so much for coming on the show. I look forward to working um, with you soon. Um, I am hoping that the um, uh, you live in Jacksonville. I'm hoping that the town is buzzing. Hopefully that the... Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars can go on another run uh, next year. You got Trevor Lawrence. He's got the best hair, the best hair in the NFL. It looks like your hair, really. I mean, hey, I need to find out what conditioner he uses because yeah. it doesn't even get tangled when he plays. That's what it's, it's like. I'm like, how is that not a knotted mess at the end of the game? It doesn't. It doesn't even get. And and then when your quarterback after the biggest win, roughly one of the biggest wins uh, in jacksonville jaguar history ends up at the local waffle house to hang out with the to hang out with the the regular people the whole thing's on twitter right i mean and on tiktok um what again so is he is he like is trevor just god in town does he just run the town you know he's really just kind of a class act i mean i don't know if you read the letter that he wrote he wrote a thank you letter to jacksonville yes, that was published everywhere um so he just he seems just like a legitimately nice guy um yeah. So it's, it's nice to have someone that's that good at something that's also humble and nice. Yeah. Yeah. We see a lot of people out there, particularly athletes, you know, getting in trouble or doing dumb things. That is not Trevor Lawrence. Okay. Holly, thank you so much for joining us to our audience. Thank you for joining us. What a great episode. Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. I'm Dr. Bokanaski. We will see you next time.